Hey, I just wanted to just welcome you. Um, if we haven't had an opportunity to ever meet, my name is Tom. I'm the Hartzell Campus Pastor, and I'm so glad to be with so many of you lovely people here today. And uh, I'm excited, especially if today happens to be your first time. If today is your first time, I want to let you know that we have been praying for you. Even though we didn't know you by name, we were asking God to meet you here in a powerful way. Just this morning, a group of us gathered together, and we're praying just, for the, just that way, even though we didn't know your name. But we want to continue to pray for you. We like to pray for you by name whenever possible. And uh, it's an honor for us to do that. And so we ask you to do this one thing for us right now. Just open up right now your worship guide and pull out the Connect card. And this is a card for everyone in the house, but especially if this happens to be your first time. Just jot down your name and info on the top of that card. And on the bottom half, that's the most important part, if you can write anything that you want that directs our prayers. Maybe it's just a word or a couple sentences. This week, our pastors and our staff, we gather together, we pray over you and over those needs. And so we would love to be able to do that for you. Later on in the service, uh, when we give together, you can just drop that in the container as it passes your way by, and we'll be praying for you. Well, I wanted to look right in the camera and welcome the Hartzell campus, the Madison campus, and all of you joining us on the other sides of computer screens all over the planet at, as one church in multiple locations. Can we just clap our hands and welcome our church family this morning? So good to be with you. Well, I hope you've been reading along with us in the Bible, One Year Bible, the plan that we're reading together. If you're new to Daystar, uh, we are reading the Bible together this year so we can literally be on the same page together. Uh, We're just reading the same plan, and uh, you don't have to feel like you're left out in any way. You can download the Daystar Church app, and you can find that Bible reading plan, and it'll actually get you hooked up with the, the verse and the scriptures that we're on today. And so you could download that wherever you download apps. Or if, if you're like me, I like to have a physical Bible in my hands sometimes when I read. And so uh, out in our lobbies at all campuses, we have reading plans that you can get. And you can jump right on board. You don't have to worry about what we read yesterday or the day before. You just jump on board right where we are, and, and we can just keep going from there. And it's been good. I, I, I think maybe you're like me. If you've been reading in this one-year Bible reading plan, you might notice like there's a trend that keeps popping up. You notice it? Here's the trend. God uses jacked up people, right? I mean, it's just time after time, story after story of really messed up people in your Bible over and over and over again. And I thought, as I was reading, I thought, what if we just looked at things through God's perspective? Like, we always look at it through our perspective, but how does God look at this? Like, how awful it must be to deal with us, right? Yeah, I mean, like, think about it. Like, if you're God, you exist, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, total unity, lacking nothing, glorified up in heaven for, for eternity, which is a long time, and, uh, and so you probably get used to things going your way, the way they're going, and, and if you need anything, you just tell the angels to go do it. Everything's perfect. Everything's great. And then one day, you decide, you know what? I'm going to make a universe. I'm going to make a universe, and I'm going to put a planet in, and on that planet, I'm going to put a guy, and I'm going to let him enjoy it. And Oh, it's going to be great. The planet's great. The the weather's fine. You're going to love this. You you seem lonely. I'm going to make you a woman. Not just any woman. I'll make you the perfect woman. It's going to be great. And and you guys are going to have a great time. You do whatever you want. In fact, do anything you want. Just don't do this one thing. Stay away from that one tree, because that one tree will get you into trouble. Just walk around that one. But anything else you can do. And so basically what happens is is there's a weather and then boom, war, a total chaos breaks out. I mean, he's blaming her, she's blaming the snake, he's blaming God. I mean, it's just total chaos. And, and God's looking at him and saying, well, these are the only people that I have to deal with, right? So 
maybe their kids will be pretty good. Well, uh, Cain's not so good, but Abel's all right. I'll work with Abel. And oh, Cain whacked Abel, right? And if you're God, you're like, what in the world? And so like, it just keeps going. It gets worse and worse and worse like this. And so finally, Genesis chapter 6, God is sitting there literally, literally crying, grieved over mankind that he made man. He's just, everything that we think and do is wicked. And so he says, that's it, I'm going to flood this place, except for, well, there's Noah. Maybe I could use Noah. Noah's pretty good. And so, I, all right, Noah, if you'll just obey me, if you'll just listen to me, you get on this boat and you obey me. And Noah does that, and then I'll provide for you. And so he does. He provides. He gives him a plan, takes care of him, and, and, and things go fine for a while. And then the waters recede, and Noah walks off the boat. And what's the first thing he does? He builds a house and makes an, a vineyard. Why? So he can grow grapes so that he can get drunk and lie naked in a tent. Ah! This is supposed to be the good guy, right? I mean, Noah is the first redneck in all history, drunk, naked, in a tent. And, and like, it just keeps going this way until finally we get to, to, to Abraham. And, and then Abraham, like, God's like, okay, I'll work through you and I'll give you through you. will be born the son of the promise. All the nations will be blessed. And Abraham's like, that sounds good. I think I'm going to commit adultery, though. Right? And he sleeps with another woman and then tries to give his wife away twice. And as you ladies were reading this, you probably thought, well, that's at least one time too many. You know, and it just gets worse and worse and worse like this. And like, at this point, if you're God, like if I was God, like I would just look at that and say, that's it. I'm burning the thing down. I'm going to burn the planet down. I'm going to stick a sign next to it that says, I told you. Right? But that's not what God does. God's patient. Some of you aren't patient. You're like me. You yell at the microwave. Hurry up. You know, but God is patient. And so he stands there and he waits and he watches as humanity makes one dumb decision after the next. And, and, and we're just evil and, and evil dictators and evil leaders and rulers just make horrible decisions one after the next until finally we come to where we are now, which is Moses. And, and, and he, God uses Moses because his children are crying out to him and they're all in slavery. And God says, I can use Moses. Moses, who is a murderer, BT-dub. Like, like Moses was a murderer. And God says, I'll redeem. it's okay, I'll redeem you and I'll use you. And that's exactly what happens. And, and the trend is, if you've seen that, that, that it's almost like a prerequisite for God. In order to use somebody, they have to be messed up. And some of us said, amen. Because he's been using messed up people ever since then. And, and, and so he uses Moses. And that's where we are in our, our one-year Bible reading plan. You've been reading that and we've gone through Exodus and into Leviticus now. And, and Moses, if you remember, he spends some time with God. And he spends like 40 days with God, and, it, and it's just amazing while he's there. And, and while he's up there, he, he, he hears from God, and God gives to him what we know as the Ten Commandments. And so he heads down. He heads down to, with the Ten Commandments down the hill to talk to the children of Israel. And, and when he gets down there, he, you know what he sees the kids doing? The children of Israel, these children who, by the way, have just witnessed God do amazing things. They watch God deliver them from the hand of Pharaoh, get them out of ten horrible plagues. They watch God, as God parted the Red Sea so they could walk through. And then the enemies came by and they crushed them. They watched God make a pillar of fire that kept them warm in the desert. They've seen God do all of these incredible things, miraculously make frosted flakes appear on the ground that they could eat. I mean, it's just like all kinds of stuff that God's doing this and more. These same children that just witnessed God do all of these amazing things. Moses walks down, and you know what he sees him doing? Worshiping a golden cow. Right? I mean, this is like one of those things where I buy you books, I send you to school, and you eat the pages. You know, it's just like, can you believe they're doing this? And, and this must be so frustrating to God. It's really frustrating to Moses. Moses, like, like has it. Like, he, he gets ticked off. Like, can you see Moses? I want you to picture Moses. In fact, I, I brought a prop so that, that you, could, you could really see Moses here. Yeah. I want, really want this is an expensive prop. 
I want you, like, you know, I may or may not have grown this beard for this specific purpose. Like, like, can you see him now? Is he coming alive? I want the Bible to come alive to you. And so here's Moses, right? He walks down the hill, and, and, and he's walking down. He's got the staff, you know, to let my people go. You know, he's got the staff. He's got the tablets. There's the kids eating or worshiping to a, a golden cow. And he's like, what on earth are you doing, right? And he looks over at Aaron, who's supposed to be the guy who was taking care of them and, and look, watching out for them. And he looks over at Aaron, and instead he's the guy that's helping him make a golden cow to worship. And he, and he says, like, he looks at him, he's like, what have you done? I love the way he puts it. In, in Exodus, he says, in, in verse 21, he says, finally he turned to Aaron and demanded, what did these people do to you to make you bring such terrible sin upon them? Are you getting into this? Do you see this Moses thing going on? Get the Moses action. He looks at Aaron. He says, basically, what have you done? What made you do this? And I love Aaron's response. Aaron looks at him and he says, well, don't get upset, my Lord. Aaron replied, you yourself know how evil these people are, right? Aaron just says, oh, we all know they're evil. It's them. And then he says this. He says, so I told them, whoever has jewelry, take it off. When they brought it to me, I simply threw it into the fire and out came this calf. I'm as shocked as you are. Just put it in there. Calf, wow, right? And, and, and you know Moses is dead. I, I love this because you know Moses is a total dad because you know what he does? He says, okay, that's all right. I'm going to grind up the cow. I'm going to grind up this golden cow. I'm going to turn it into dust and I'm going to put it in your drink and you're going to drink it. You know, this, does this not sound like a dad? You like worshiping cows? You think worshiping cows is cute? Guess what? You're going to drink the cow. I know, like, those of us who are dads know exactly what he means, because, like, I have tripped over my kids' shoes in the middle of the dark on so many nights and nearly thrown my back out that I thought, that's it. You know what? I'm going to grind the shoes down. I'm going to put it in their cereal. You're going to eat the shoes. Just kidding. Don't call DHR on me. I'm mostly kidding. Put your, kids up, put your shoes up, kids. So, so what happens is, is Moses goes back, he spends some time with God. God writes the Ten Commandments, another Ten Commandments. He writes them on the tablets. And the Bible says he took his finger and he wrote them in stone. And I, I believe that God wants to write them on our hearts today. You know, the last couple of weeks, we have been talking about some really messed up Old Testament relationships. And as I was reading this, I thought, you know, it doesn't get more messed up than this. It doesn't get more messed up than, than the children of Israel and how they respond to their God. And the truth is, it's not so much different than it is today. Like within the last 60 years, I feel like our country has drifted so far away from God. Within the last 10, it feels like we've just fallen off the cliff, you know? And, and people will say, we need to return back to family values. To which I'll say, well, well, who's writing the values? Who's making those? Is it Netflix and sitcoms? Like, do we need to, to leave it to Beaver? Or, or, or do we need to return to Father Knows Best? I mean, do we need to go to the 60s? Do we go to, where, where do we go with this? Well, I think this is where we go. We go all the way back thousands of years to where God delivers the children out of slavery. And he takes these, these children of his and he takes them out of slavery. And the reason why he does that is, is so that he could have a relationship with them. This is why God does it. He's a God of relationships. It's the reason why he formed Adam in the beginning. He said, I desire to be with you. I want to have a relationship with you. This is what he says in, in Exodus 20, verse 1. He says, it says that, and God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. See, before he even gives them the Ten Commandments, he reminds them, I'm the one that brought you back. I'm the one that brought you out of this. I took you out of bondage. I brought you out of slavery. I was the one that got you out of that because I want to have relationship with you. And he did this for the children of Israel, and we know that he also did that for us. Right? Jesus did this exact same thing. He pulled us out of slavery. In Romans 6.6, 6, it says, 
we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. You see that? At one time, we were slaves. Every one of us were slaves to our sin, just like the children of Israel. And God bought us back. Just like last week, as Pastor Jerry talked about Hosea buying back Gomer, in the same way, if you haven't watched that message, you need to go back and watch it. Because in the same way, God purchased us back. He brought us out of that slavery and out of that bondage. And then after he's done that, he sets before us these commandments. And these are principles, a foundation to build our life on for new life living in him. See, his, his desire is that this would be home to home and family to family. And he gave us these commandments to live by so that they would benefit us. See, I, I think when you read the Ten Commandments like this, you, you can read them and think, well, this is just a list of thou shalt nots. Like, don't do this and don't do that. And don't, don't, don't. No, 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 no. And, and the truth is, and this is, this is really important. That's why I, I put it in your notes. If you're a note taker, write this down. Number one, anytime God says no, it's for your benefit. God is not up in heaven sitting there going, oh no, they figured out a way to have fun without me. I must put an end to all this joy. No smiling, <laughs> lightning bolt. That's not what God's doing. God is not like that. In fact, it's more like, I was reminded of a time when my, my kids were, were real little, probably my first son was like two or three years old, and we lived on a much busier street. And the street, the cars would come flying by. And, uh, and you know how they are when they first learn to walk, like they just toddling around, they get on a good go. And he was doing, like he's smiling and laughing, and he took off, and he was headed right for the street. And I saw what was happening, and I know how cars come flying out of nowhere. And so I just shouted out, no, Tom, stop! And I was real forceful with it when I, when I yelled that. And he just, he looked at me, and I don't know if it was like the way I said it or what, but he just got scared instantly, and he ran back to his mother, and he hid from me. And he, and he didn't want anything to do with me the rest of the day. And, and, and the thing is, is, is God, when God tells you no, when, he's not up in heaven telling you no because he wants to to steal something from you or take joy from you. When God tells you no, it's for your benefit. See, it's immaturity for us to think that, that God is against us somehow. It's in our immaturity that we think that God is trying to keep something from us. He's not a cosmic killjoy. He's trying to preserve you. He's trying to keep you. And when God says no, you should immediately think, this is a good thing. Whenever God says no to you, uh, it's like when you take your kids home from the hospital. When you first have your, your babies, they, they didn't always do this, but now, like, before you leave the hospital, before they'll release you, they, ma they make sure that you have a, ch a car seat and you know how to strap the baby in. Why? Are they trying to just, you know, keep your kid restrained and not do anything? No, they just know that that, that child is precious cargo. And they know how dangerous the traffic can be. And so what they're trying to do is help you. Th this is not a, a thing designed to inhibit. It's designed to protect. So when you look through a list, like the Ten Commandments, don't look at them like a list of, of do's and don'ts. This is, when you look at this, you have to understand that the, these, the children of Israel had been slaves for generation after generation. And when you've been a slave for a long time, all you know how to do is be a slave. Does that make sense? And so this is exactly what was doing, what was happening to them. They had been slaves in Egypt for over 430 years. And they had been slaves for so long, their gener my dad was a slave, his dad was a slave, his dad was a slave. That's all they knew how to do. They were slaves so long that some of them wanted to go back into being slaves again. It, there's actually a mental condition, it's called Stockholm Syndrome. And what happens in this is, is where you fall in love with your captor. And, and you actually start to fall in love with the, the person that has taken you or kidnapped you. This is what happened. So anytime that something challenging happened, anything anytime something difficult happened that required faith, they started thinking, maybe we should go back to being slaves. Look, look at what they said to Moses in Exodus 14. 
I said, didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. They wanted to be slaves. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. See, what happened was God had gotten them out of Egypt. And now what he had to do is get Egypt out of them. And that's true for us today, too. When God removes you from your sin and from your bondage, the next thing he has to do is get that out of you to remind you of who you actually are. And, and that is a child of God, that he's got a bigger plan and a bigger purpose for you. And he says, listen, I'm going to put some guardrails in your life so that you won't crash and lose your purpose and your calling in life. These are principles, values that you can build your home upon. I, I want to try something today. I need a little crowd participation at all of our campuses. I want you to help me out. Sing along with this if you know the words. I just want out loud, just sing it out loud if you know the words. Give me a break. Give me a That's right. Listen, how well you guys knew it. You knew that song so great. Here's the thing. I think most of us know the end of that jingle. We know how to sing that jingle better than we know the Ten Commandments. I mean, think about it. Now, uh, when, if I were to ask any of you, do you know the Ten Commandments? You'd say, oh, yeah, I know the Ten Commandments. I'd say, oh, yeah, name them. You'd be like, well, don't kill nobody. You know, you shouldn't cheat. Lion's bad. There's a lot of them. They're good. You know, like that's how most of us do. And like when I was reviewing this, I started doing the same thing. I thought, well, you know, I got to five and then maybe six. And it's interesting to me that we know so many useless things. We can quote so many useless facts. But when it comes to something like this, naming the things, the 10 simple things that God gave us to guide us, we can't do it. In Psalm 78, King David is talking about this importance, the importance of this, and and he's talking about the law of God and, and and the testimonies of God. I want you to look at this. Psalm 78, he says this. He says, he established, God did, he established a testimony in Jacob. Now, now what is that? This is all the stories that we've been reading in the one-year Bible. These are the stories and all the testimonies that that God's establishing testimonies through the lineage of Jacob. And, And he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. I want us to read that out loud at all of our campuses. Read that together. He commanded our fathers to teach their children. I mean, there it is. That's the the breakdown of American Christianity right there. See, God placed the responsibility of teaching the children on the parents, not the pastors. And this is what we'll do sometimes. We'll take our kids into church and we'll say, well, I sure hope that someone teaches them Bible. I, I hope someone teaches them scripture. And God says, I wanted a dad to do it. I wanted the mom to do it. And that's why when it's so powerful, because the most powerful, the number one most forming factor in a child's life is a mom or a dad. And the plan of God was to get what was in your Bible into your home through you. Watch this, verse 6. That the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise. So in other words, the kids are growing up, and the dad teaches the kids, and the kids grow up, and tell them to their children. So this is a perpetual generational process that he's doing of, of the Bible going from one home to the next. And he's saying, I want you to know these commandments and not just know them, but make them known. Why? Verse 7, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. See, the commandments were established by God. These are, these are values that God wanted you to, your kids to know. Why? So they could put their hope in God, their trust and their faith in God and not forget this is what's happened. See, in light of this, when you forget this, then kids, when they put their head on a pillow, they're going to put their hope and their trust on, on whatever fantasies they have and whatever culture is dictating and telling them to do. And culture is telling them to, to put their hope in all kinds of wrong things. 
And, you know, when I was thinking about this and how important it is for us to focus and, and read through these Ten Commandments, I actually started to get stressed out. And I don't typically get, like, stressed out about a message. But, but one morning, as I was preparing just a couple nights ago, I woke up at 3, it was early, 3.29 in the morning. I, I woke up and I started thinking about it. And, and, and I must have woke, it must have been loud enough that uh, I woke Deborah up and, and she said, why are you up so early? And I said, ah, man, I was, I was, I was thinking about this message. And she said, well, did you pray about it? And I said, yeah, of course I prayed about it. Go to sleep. And then I prayed about it. <laughs> Don't tell her that. It'll go right to her head. She's impossible to live with after that point. And so I, I started praying. Because, and, and the reason why I, I, was, I was focused about it, I was stressed about it, is because I felt like God really wanted me to talk about the Ten Commandments. But, but I started looking at that, and I thought, God, how can I talk about them? There's so many. Like, the more I looked at it, the more I thought, you could do a message on every single one of them. You could do a series on all Ten Commandments because every one of them has so much good stuff that will deepen your relationship with God if you really focus on them. But, but apart from just, like, listing them, we just don't have time to talk about it. So I prayed, and, and, and I thought, what can I do, God? And, I, and you know what I felt like the Lord was saying to me? I, I felt like he said this, uh, just focus on the first one. I thought, God, that'll never work. I'll tell you what, let me do the scripture writing. Let me do the, uh, the sermon planning. You stick to doing whatever it is you're doing. And then I, I started looking and I thought, oh, wait a minute. Hey, you're pretty smart. Hey, you might, have, you might be on to something. And the more I looked at it, the more I thought, hey, God is 100% right, uh, naturally. And, uh, and I was 100% wrong. All we needed to do is focus on the first one. And, and that's what I want to do is just focus real quickly on the first commandment. And you could sum it up this way. And if you have your notes, I want you to write this down. It's number two in your notes. You could sum up the first commandment in this way. Write this down. Number two, put God first always. Why did God put this one first? Like God's the first one in all of history to have a top ten list. He's got the top ten list. And why did he put this one first? I believe it's because everything else hinges on this. If you get this right, you can get every other one right. In fact, until you unlock this commandment, you can't get the other ones right. They tried to trick Jesus with this. They tried to trap him in the same way, and they asked him this in Matthew 22. They asked him this question. One of them, an expert in religious law, which I think is funny because he's, he's an expert talking to Jesus, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. I just want to stop right there because, see, Jesus says this is the one you got to get right. You get this one first and everything else will unlock from there. And in our language, in English, we don't really have a great word to translate. We translate it as all your heart, soul, and mind. But really, the Hebrew word is a word for muchness. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your muchness, every fiber of your being. You must love God with everything that you are. And it's best translated as we can right there, but he's really saying, like, everything that you are. And this can be really difficult for us sometimes because, like, everyone we're around, like, everyone we work with, like, like God's not even on their radar. Like, you probably work with some people, and God's not even on the map. And for us, God's on the radar, and so we feel pretty good when he's, like, in the top three, Right? And we feel like, well, God, they're not even thinking about you, but you're in the top five. You know, you should feel pretty good about that, God. But what if I were to go to my wife and I were to go to Deborah and say, hey, Deborah, you're not going to believe this. You're in the top five of all women. All 3.5 million women on the planet, you have made the top three. Do you think that she would feel like, oh, I feel so special. I'm in the top three. No, she's from Alabama. She'd stab me in the neck. Like, 
Like, the thing is, is, what if I said to her, hey, listen, not just that, but you're my weekday girl. Monday through Friday, it's me and you. Now, on Saturday, i got to go hang out with some other chicks. But you and I, you know what? She, she would say, no, that's not good enough. That, this is not going to work. I can't, I'm not just going to be like that. I want to be, there, no other girls before me. This is what God's saying. He's saying, you can have no other gods before me. That's what he says in Exodus 20. Verse 2, he says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. God says, you will put me first. I will not play second place to anyone. I deserve to be number one. I'm not in the top three. I'm number one. Actually, the, the Bible says that he's, he calls himself jealous with a capital J for you. God says, I will be first. I must be the priority in your life or not at all. Listen to me, I, I talk to, to couples all the time or different people and, and they're having different troubles and, and problems and they'll say, I'm having trouble with my kids or I'm having problems in my marriage and we're having problems communicating. We're just, we're just not communicating. Our kids are being disrespectful. And, and I think, you know, it's so much beyond just the symptoms you're experiencing. The problem many times is that the foundation of who you are is broken. And, and many times if, if God's not number one in their house, this is why they're experiencing problems. It's so important because if you would put God first, it'll solve all kinds of problems. I talk to, to people all the time and they're, they're having problems and major disagreements and he sees things one way and, and she think, sees things another. And I found that if I could just, because I, you, you think, man, how are they gonna get together? How are they gonna come to a place of understanding? And I found that if I could just get them to stop and seek God together, if they could really press in and, and push towards God, then everything else changes. Because something supernatural happens in your life when you place God first. Wherever you place him first, he blesses the rest. This is a kingdom principle. Wherever you put God first, he will bless the rest. If you give him the first part of your day, he'll bless the rest of your day. If you give him the first part of your week, he'll bless the rest of your week. Why do we take the first part of January and fast and pray? The reason why is because we say, God, I'm going to give you the first part of my year, and he'll bless the rest of the year. When you bless God and say, God, I'm going to give you my finances. Here's the first part of my finances. He'll bless the rest of your finances. This is just what he does. And when you say, God, I'm putting you first in my home, guess what he does? He blesses the rest of your home. I'm putting you first. In terms of relationship, whatever it is that you spend the most time around, that's the thing that you'll become most like. Like if, you, if you're around a bunch of, of people that, that just kind of look like a, a God, like they take him casually or lightly, you'll become a casual Christian. But if you're around people who are focused on, and, and passionate, like I want to worship God with everything I am, I'm going after him. If you're around those people, you'll become a passionate, dedicated worshiper. This is just what happens. The more that you spend time around God, the more like Christ you'll become. You got to put him first. And he, he, says, he says, don't just put me first. There's more to this. Number three in your notes, he says this, have no other gods. You can have no other gods, the Lord says, in, in Deuteronomy, and we'll get there in our reading plan. But in Deuteronomy, um, he's going to list these Ten Commandments again. And this is what he says in Deuteronomy 6. He says, you must not worship any of the gods of your neighboring nations, for the Lord your God who lives among you is a jealous God. Think about that in context of, of who God is. He's the God who created the universe. Like, we can't even wrap our minds around that. God created the entire universe. And, and what he's saying is that the creator of all of those things is jealous for your attention. 
I mean, he's jealous and, and possessive of your time. He's possessive of your energy. He's possessive of your thoughts. He wants that. Some of you have been in possessive relationships before. Some of you ladies have been around a guy who's really possessive and wants to make sure that you... And if you're dating a guy like that, you don't need to walk. You need to run. Get away from relationships like that. But, but if God is the one that's possessive of you, when God is possessive, you're in the best place that you can be. It's the best place in your life when God is in possession of, uh, of you and, and his will and, and you're around his word and you're watching it be demonstrated in the body of Christ. If he's jealous for you, that's the best place you can be and he is, he is jealous. He wants to be around you only and wants you to be around him only. And God isn't just saying you have to put me first. He's saying, uh, he's saying you can't have any other gods before me. You see, the, the Israelites had just spent 430 years as slaves in, a, in an area in Egypt who had more, other, more gods. They worshipped more gods in that civilization than any other civilization. They actually had, you know, we had the one true God. They had 29 major gods that they worshipped and, and 2,000 lesser gods. They, they had a god for everything. They even had a god called Happy, but he wouldn't make you happy. Like, I actually brought floods and stuff. They had a God called Nun, and they had a, a God, another God called Nut. Like, this is what they were worshiping. Like, they had the God for everything. And God is saying, listen, you shall have no other God before me. I just took you out of a culture where they worshiped everything and every, all these different gods. I am the only real God. And so when, it, when he says that you need to worship only me, like, like, the truth is, I would never think that anyone here would ever worship a Nut God. But we make gods out of all kinds of things. You can make a job a God. You can make a car a God. You can make a boyfriend or a girlfriend a God. It's whatever takes your focus off of God and you put it on something else, that becomes a God. I've talked to people before and they say, oh man, pastor, I've met the girl of my dreams. I met the guy of my dreams and oh, they're so good. Oh, man, that's great. Let me meet them. And like, oh, they don't go to church. And I said, oh, they're not, you know what you mean? They're not at church? They're like, no, they don't. But I'm gonna get them here and they're gonna be, it's gonna be awesome. They're gonna come and guess what happens? I never see them again. They just drop out because this is what happens. I, I've seen people worship, uh, make, turn a God into their child. They worship their, their child as a God. They say, well, they don't go to God to determine what they're going to do. They go to the kids. Well, what's best for the kids? What, what can we do for the kids? Like, and some of, them are, some of you are, are wrapped up in, in activities and sports, and I'm not coming down on them, but, but you're saying, like, I can't do this thing because I'm, I can't do this thing for God. I can't, I can't attend this kind of thing that I want to go to because I'm wrapped up in a sporting activity. You've, you've made... Your child, your God. I love you too much not to tell you that. See, there, there's, there is, exists inside of fallen man this thing that we want to worship. And, and oftentimes what we do is we take the created thing and we worship that thing. And, and we pervert worship. I think the reason why is I think inside of each one of us, God has placed the heart of a worshiper. And when we, when we pervert it in our own fallen way, this messes everything up. And we start to worship the wrong things. As you go through this Old Testament in the, in the reading plan that we're on, you're going to find civilization after civilization, culture after culture, worshiping all these gods. And basically, you can, there, there's about three gods that all of these cultures, you're going to find that they start to worship. I'm going to listen to you right now. The first one's Baal. This is a god that they worship. He's the god of sex. Then there's Mammon, the god of money, and Molech, the god of violence. So, so listen to that. That's the god of sex, money, and violence. Think about that. That is the American entertainment culture today, right? That's the only thing that sells. I mean, like, today, you can't have a, a commercial for potato chips without it being sexual, right? I mean, like, I just want to brush my teeth. Why does she have to wear a bikini? Like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, I just want clean teeth. But th that's what it is. It's part of our, our culture. And what you worship shapes what you become. Anything that you worship will become what you are. 
And whatever controls you, whatever ultimately determines your decisions is your God. I've seen some people worship money. Oh, I can't do this thing for God because I'm afraid I'll run out of money. I, I can't do this thing or, or this. I'll do anything as long as the price is right. I got no news for you. You're worshiping money. I, I, people worship all kinds of things. Anything can become a God. Anything that takes your focus off of the one true God is that thing that you're, be, you're beginning to worship. And the more you, be, you focus on the thing, the more you become that. In fact, I think it's, that's a kingdom principle. You become whatever you focus on. If you keep your attention on God, then you'll become more like him. Amen? He wants you to be as close as you'll allow him to be. That's the most incredible thing about this whole thing, is that God wants you to be, as he lets you determine the level of relationship that you have with him. Now think about that. I want to read this one last thing to you, and this is what happens to the children of Israel, what happens right after God gives them the Ten Commandments. And I want you to go back. I want you to talk to them, uh, talk this through with your, your family and, and, and Jesus 365 groups. And there's a Facebook group. As you read through the Ten Commandments, I want you to go through this. But what happens is God has just given the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel. He's dropped this down. And then immediately right after that, look what happens in Exodus 20, verse 18. It says, when the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But don't let God speak directly to us or we will die. Don't be afraid, Moses answered them, for God has come this way to test you. And so your, that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. And as the people stood at it in, a, in the distance, look at this, watch this. Moses approached the dark cloud where God was. See, Moses determined that he was going to have a relationship with God. But the people determined that they were going to have a relationship with God through Moses. How many times does this happen today? Pastor, you get alone with God. You, you go off with God and you, you talk to God and then you come back and you tell us what's, what, what you should know. You do it. God says, listen, I want you to be in relationship with me. I want you to come to me. See, I want you, God. God says, I want to talk to you. And the most incredible thing is, is that you're as close to God as you want to be. You're as close to God as you want to be this morning. See, it's easy for us to look back at, at this Old Testament and look at all these jacked up stories and all these people and think, wow, wow, they are messed up. Wow, the children of Israel are really messed up. But the truth is, this is the story of us. We turn gods into all kinds of the wrong things. We do this over and over again. And God's saying, listen, this is not what I intended for you. This is why I gave you these guardrails so that I could keep you straight because I want you to hear this. And this is so important that if you only hear one thing, hear this. God didn't give the commandments to Moses before he freed the slaves. He gave them to him after. Do you understand that? See, here's why that's so important. God didn't say, Moses, I'm going to give you this list. And I want you to give this to the children of Israel. And if they straighten up, if they get their act right, if they really get it all right, and they do everything I told them, then I'll come and I'll release them. Then I'll get them out of slavery. God didn't say that. He said, I heard you crying out to me. And I know that you're in slavery. And I know that you're worshiping wrong things. And I know that you're, you're lost and you're broken and you're hurting. And I'll come and get you. And every enemy that tries to pursue you, I'll crush them under the Red Sea. I won't allow them to come after you. I'm not expecting you to get it all right before I come to you. He says, I'll come to you first. And then I'll give you something, a new life to follow and walk in. Oh, this is the story of us, man. 
that Jesus did the same thing. He said, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He says, I see you in your shame. I see you in your sin. I see you in the addiction and in the thing that I never intended for you, that I never designed you to have. I see you walking, and in the middle of that, I came for you. I'm coming for you today. He is here for you today. See, the truth is, you might have come here this morning thinking that that I'm going to do this thing for God. God says, ah, I got here for you. I don't expect you to get it all right. I don't have a list of do, 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 do. I said, I'll do it for you. See, this is why Jesus came, because he's a rescuer. Our God is a rescuer. He knows that you're in the middle of this, and he's here for you.